place last week talking in Acres of Diamonds and we were talking about the valley and how we we need to speak and prophesy over to the, the, the dead bones in our life and watch the wind come in and, and give life again. Um, <clears throat> and this week I'm going to talk about something that I personally like. It speaks to me. It's been something that's constant in my life for a long time. It's something that I like being around. It's something that I like being in. And that's water. I'm going to talk about water this week. So we had dry last week. We're going to get wet this week. Amen? All right. Before we begin, um, we're coming out of Genesis 26. If you want to turn there, it'd be a minute before we get there. But that's where we're going to come out of a little bit. And then I have quite a bit of other scriptures that I'm going to share with you as well. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I love you and I thank you for the opportunity to be able to come together and to share the word tonight. God, I ask that you open up our minds and our hearts and let us receive a word from you. God, I ask that you come into this service, God, and enlighten us, God, with your Holy Spirit, that we can take an understanding from this seed, apply it to our life, and take it with us as food to nourish us and to keep us and, and to guide us, Father. I thank you and I love you for all that you do in your precious holy name I pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Part of living in acres of diamonds and having an acres of diamonds mindset in our life is realizing first and foremost that where you are has potential and value. No matter where that is in your life, right now, where you are has potential and value. And then how do you discover more of the potential and value there? To be at a place that gives value and, and it has potential is great, but there's always more to be had. You can get more where you are. And that's going to be what we're going to do tonight. You got to dig. When we look at how to discover acres of diamonds in our life, it's one thing to discover surface level diamonds. But what happens when you dig a little bit deeper and you find that on the surface level there were diamonds, but then when you got a little bit deeper, there was diamonds beyond belief. See, a mine where you mine diamonds, there are surface level diamonds. And then if you get a little bit deeper, there's more and more and more. Tonight we're going to talk about digging and getting back into the flow. Um, I'm going to speak to you tonight on digging wells. Um, in the Word of God, we study about Abraham. Everybody know Abraham? Yes, Abraham. And, and the wells that Abraham had built for himself and his family. That's very important because Abraham dug well and, and, and got access to the water, but it wasn't just for him. You need to understand that this is not about you, boo. This, this thing that we're in, this, this lifestyle that we live is not just about you. Abraham dug wells for himself and his family. And when we look at where they were, they're in the Middle East. And in the Middle East, the climate is hot and dry. And digging a well would have provided access to water. But digging a well is not easy. Especially back then. Can you imagine when you get a well dug today? They bring a big old machine in and do it. And get on down there quick. They didn't have that back then. To dig a well would mean to work at it. It took blood, sweat, and tears to dig wells back in this time. 
In fact, when we look at what happens when we dig wells, we gain access to water. And if you know anything about humanity and civilization, life always thrives around water. Anytime there's an opening mouth to a river, anytime there's a river, anytime there's a, a seashore, that's where civilization happens first. Water is used to sustain life. When you grow crops, they need what? Livestock and animals need water. So having water during the time of Abraham meant that you had access and you had tapped into a blessing. Amen. In order to dig a well, someone would have to first understand that just because it didn't look like there was any water didn't mean there wasn't any water. When you go to a hot, dry area as where Abraham lived, he had to see beyond the dirt because there's no water surface level. You have to see beyond the situation to, before you can begin digging. Then they would have to make up in their mind that they were going to put some effort into digging. So you see the spot, you want to dig in the spot, and then you make up in your mind that it's going to take a hard work, but I'm going to get it done. The ground was not soft in this area. If you want to think of a desert, go for it. That's about what it was. It's going to require a lot of work and effort to get past the place where there is no water. You need to first understand in your own life that digging wells is not going to be easy. So the process of digging and getting deeper and getting into the flow is not an easy process. Do you want me to tell you the easiest part of being a Christian? Believing that Jesus died for you. That's the easiest part. It's the digging afterwards, the flourishing of the relationship, the staying in it whenever it gets hard. That stuff's hard. Abraham understood that by digging a well, he's not just doing it for himself, but he understood that the time and energy and effort that he put into digging would impact his entire family. You need to understand that what you're doing in your life does not just impact you. It impacts your entire family. It has a lasting impact on you, your family, your children, and your children's children. Proverbs 13 and 22 says, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. It didn't say leave it to his children. It said to his children's children. That means there's enough for his children and then their children. The scripture is not just talking about a financial inheritance. We we take it sometimes and we put it just with one category it's not just a financial inheritance have you left a spiritual blessing that's enough for your children and your children's children what spiritual inheritance are you leaving behind during this time that we're talking about having land with water on it was about like having land with oil on it nowadays you got some resources, amen, and everybody wants it. If you are in Texas and you have land with oil on it, everybody wants your land. And if you're smart, you hold on to it. So during this time, having a well with water meant that you had something. People would fight over land with water. When you found some land with some water on it, they'd fight over it. 
they'd come and try to take it from you. You need to understand that the enemy that you're fighting is coming in and attacking because there's some water in your life and, and you are valuable. Thieves don't rob empty vaults. They don't, there ain't nothing in them. But when the enemy comes and attacks you and he's constantly on you and he's constantly driving you nuts and he's constantly after you and you feel like you can't catch a break, that's good. That means you got water somewhere. So just hang on. So my scripture tonight, Genesis chapter 26. Genesis 26, I'm going to do 12 through 15. I may jump around a little bit, just hang on. And Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. Stop. That's good. The Lord blessed him, and the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possessions of flock and herds and many servants. This was somebody who was making it, amen? This was a piece of land that had enough to sustain. So we're talking about Isaac, and then this is what happens. When you get something and you get somewhere, let's see what happens. He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants, so the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped and filled with earth all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham. Isaac is the son of Abraham and Sarah. Isaac was born out of a promise that God had made them, and he was a very wealthy individual. He had lots of land and livestock, which meant that water was very important to him. And Isaac did something in just a bit we're going to talk about that many of us need to start doing. He digs and digs and digs again. So I want to talk to you tonight about digging again. Let's first look at wells. To understand this story, you have to look at two different things. There's wells and there's water. Well, I'm going to start with wells. A well is the means by which provides access to the water. Everybody with me? You got to have a well to get to the water. Amen. Genesis 24, 11 to 13, it says, and he, and he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, meaning that they had to kneel down by the place to get water, which was the well. The water was already there, but the well provides access. Genesis 29, 2 to 3 says, And he looked and he saw a well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it. Where there is a well, there will be some sheep. There will be some livestock. There will be some life where you have a well. Where was we last week? In the desert where everything was dead. This week we got to get some water in the situation. Because where there's water, there's life. Proverbs 5 and 15. Drink water from your own cisterns. Flowing water from your own wells. You can't borrow my water from my well. I, I got to have it for me. Get your own well. You say, well, that sounds selfish. It, it is. If you would dig your well, you wouldn't need my well. Drink water from your 
own well. A well in the word of God represents supply and provision. When Israel would travel to a place where God had provided water, they would sing in Numbers chapter 21. They would sing, spring up, O well. A well represents an encounter with God. It is a well or a spring that we find Hagar, who had ran away because of the way that Sarah treated her, and she ran to a place of water. It is the, the place of provision. It is the place of encounter. There's so many times in the Bible that there's an encounter with God at a well. Genesis 16, 13 to 14 says, So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are a God of seeing, for she said, truly here, I have seen him who looks after me. There are wells where worship is encountered in the Bible. When Isaac arrived at Beersheba, the, the well that he dug there and, and encountered there, the first thing he did was build an altar in worship. Genesis 26 and 25, so he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there, and there Isaac's servants dug the well. When you worship, you acknowledge that God is the supplier of what's inside your well. If you can worship at the well, you're not worshiping the well. You're worshiping the one who provides what's in the well. There's mentions of wells of salvation in the word. Isaiah 12 and 3 says, With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. By way of which you get something is a well. The Hebrew word translated well here also means fountain. John 4 and 14. But whosoever drinks of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give them will become in them like a spring of water welling up. Wells are symbolic of our heart. If you read throughout the Bible and you can think your heart is by which of a way in which you get an encounter with God. He comes into your heart, correct? So there's a, there's an, a, a, a very interesting connection between wells and and us as individuals. Song of Solomon in 4.15 says, A garden fountain, a well of living water, and flowing streams from Lebanon. It's here that the Song of Solomon says that we see the shepherd king and he sees the maiden as a fountain of gardens. Our heart is the well from which the spring is connected. Proverbs 4 and 23, Keep your heart vigilant from out of it flows. You guard your heart because out of it flows. Out of the well, what flows? Water. So your heart is like a well. Luke 6.45, the good person out of the treasure, uh, the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You can check somebody's well by listening to them. James 3 and 11, does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both bitter and sweet, both fresh and salt? So it's from the heart that we're connected to this flow. A well represents divine appointment. 
You see, it's a well that we find the story of Moses. When Moses fled from Pharaoh, he arrived at a well in Midian. And it's there that he was leaving Egypt and escaping and going to a well. It's here in this encounter he meets his wife. In Exodus 2, we see that he meets this, this daughter of the Midian priest named Zephora, and she becomes his wife. It's the land that would be his home for the next 40 years. A well represents an encounter. A well represents a gift and inheritance. There's all kinds of stuff you can tie to a well. Now I want to talk about the water. I'm going to try my best to hold it together. But when I get talking about water, so help me Jesus. I get excited to talk about the water. Because you can't get access to the water without the well. And so it's essential that we get to the water. Whatever I got to do, I got to get to the water. Water, if you know anything about science, you will understand that water is necessary. I need you to get this tonight because you can put the well to the side and, and study that later. I need you to get the water. Water is essential to your existence. You can make it 43 to 70 days without food. You'll make it about three without water. Fact check me on it if you want to. Water is needed. I'm going to blow some of y'all's mind right here. 70% of the human brain is made of water. There is the same amount of water on earth today as there was 3 million years ago. I'm not here to debate with you how old the earth is. If you want to do that at a different time, I'll be glad to. It takes on average for us as individuals, on average, about 12 gallons of water a day to sustain a human. Now, remember, this is on average, so just stay with me. That takes an account for drinking and sanitation and food production. 71% of the earth is covered in water. So let's look at it in the word. I'm going to try to go deep, but not get too deep. Genesis 1 and 2. The earth was without form and void. Now, y'all know what happens before Genesis 1 and 2, right? Genesis 1 and 1. There ain't a whole lot happened between there and now. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, hold on, God. You ain't spoke nothing yet about waters or land or nothing, but there's, there's water there. There is. One thing you'll notice here is, is you, there's a mystery with water in the Bible, and there's, there's a connection between water and the Holy Spirit. In Genesis 1 and 1, the, there's... there's not a whole lot that gives you indication as to where water came from. In the beginning, God created. And then all of a sudden, there's water. 
We know based on John 1 and 1 that everything was created by him. It says nothing that was made was not made was not yet made except for by him it was made. So he created all things. We know water was created by him, but we have no scriptural indication as to where this water came from in Genesis 1 and 2. Water takes the form of that which it holds. Or which holds it. So if you put water in a bowl, it's going to take form to the bowl. If you put water in a cup, it's going to take form to the cup. In essence, water is being hovered over by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is keeping together this thing which is referred to in the Bible as formless and void. Without a form yet. It doesn't have form, but yet water is still there. As you read through the Bible, you'll find that there's symbolism between the Holy Spirit and water. You see there that the Holy Spirit is hovering above the water. In Genesis 1 and 6, then we start creating something. It says, God let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and he separated waters from waters. How do you do that? Only if you, God, can you separate waters from waters. You can go study it if you want to. He said here, after day one, on day two, water's still present in the situation. And now there's going to be a divide, an expanse between waters from the heavens and waters to the earth. There's a divide in the water. In case you didn't know, there's waters in the heavens. Amen? We can get to that later in the book of Revelations. Genesis 1-7, and God made the expanse and he separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above it. So now we've got a divide in water. God's still using water to create in the whole creation process. Water is necessary for creation. Before there was growth in Genesis 1 and 8, there was water. If you want growth, you've got to have water first. God had water from the beginning for a reason. In 1 and 8, he called the expanse of heaven. And in the evening and the morning came and it was the second day. And then in Genesis 1.11, he goes to create vegetation. You can't have a harvest without water. Water cleanses us. Amen. I like to get a wash with some water. Water quenches us. When we're thirsty, what do we want? It refreshes us. It gives us life. What does the Holy Spirit do? It cleanses us. It quenches a spiritual thirst within us. The Holy Spirit gives life and refreshes us. So let's look at John 3 and 5. It says, John answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, there they are again, right there together. Same sentence. Water and the Spirit cannot enter the kingdom of God. You see, in order for a woman to give birth, what has to happen? The water has to break. Where's the baby held for nine months in? Don't tell me God don't know how to create John 4, 13 to 14, we see an encounter again with water at a well. And this woman that is, is focusing on a physical water has not considered a spiritual water. There is a two different kinds of water. That's why there's two different kinds of water in the book of Genesis. There's a spiritual water and there is a physical water. She's coming to the well at 12 o'clock to get her physical water. 
she comes at 12 because she's ashamed. She's got her buckets with her because she knows what kind of woman she is. She don't want nobody else to talk to her, pull out all her sins. So she comes with her two buckets at noontime, and there is Jesus sitting at the well. And her mind, she's thinking, I'm going to get me some water. But Jesus knows she's fixing to get some deeper water. That's what I want to talk to you tonight about is getting the deeper water through that well. Revelations 22, 1 to 2 says, Then the angel showed me the river of water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God. And the lamb through the middle of the streets of the city, also on either sides of the river, the trees of life with its 12 kinds of fruit. You will never have fruit without water. If this is in Revelations and it's John being shown a vision and he's writing in the book of Revelations and he's seeing the throne in which a river flows and trees with fruit, there's water present. You got to have water. John 7 and 38, well, whosoever believes in me, as the scriptures had said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. That's the heart again being a well. Psalms 1, 1 through 3. Psalms 1, verses 1 through 3. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. You want to know how to do these things? Quit walking in the counsel of the wicked nor standing in the way of the sinners, nor sitting in the seat of the scornful, for he delights in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by the... you got to have water. You can't walk in a dry situation and be walking blessed as the man who walks not in the council. You can't do that unless there's water present in the scripture. you got to have water somewhere in your life. You got to have water somewhere flowing in order for you to reach all of these things that are of abundance. This has nothing to do with salvation and believing in Jesus Christ. This has everything to do with on earth as in heaven. You want some flowing in your life? You got to get some water. We got to quit having dried up church and dried up Christians. We need a flow of water flowing in the house, flowing at home, flowing in my car, flowing in Walmart. Flowing in the Dollar General. Wherever you go, you got to have water. I love this. Psalms 24, 1 through 2. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It belongs to him. Thank you. The world and those who dwell there within. That's us. For he has founded it upon the seas. Uh-oh. What was present in Genesis 1 through 2? Water. For he founded it upon the seas and established it on the rivers. Everything we got is built on water. We got to have it. It's water where we find Moses. Moses' very name is to draw out of the water. What do you do at a well? draw out water 
Here we find Moses in Exodus 2. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she named him Moses because, she said, I drew him out of the water. Moses is a whole well. And what does he do? God chooses him to deliver his people out of captivity. You got to have water and you got to have well. And without those, you will not get deliverance. If you want deliverance, you got to have water and well. It's water that, that is used to flood the earth with Noah. It's water where we find the first plague. What is turned to blood? The water. It's water where we find the very first miracle. What does he do? He uses water. It's water where we find this reenactment of Genesis. What is a reenactment of Genesis? Where the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit come together once again. It says, let us make man in our image. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Genesis 1. And then we move just a little bit further. And the very first scene we have of Jesus coming on board to get right here and get involved in ministry is what? He's being put into the water. And when John baptizes him and he pulls him up, what happens? You have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. And without water, you're not going to get any of that. There is water that is necessary to have an encounter with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You can't baptize without water. You can't get right without water. There is no deliverance without water. There is no life without water. You got to have water. We find all three of these things together, and it's water that sustains the situation. But you need a well to get to the water. The Bible says in Genesis 26, when Abraham died, the Philistines came and filled up the wells with dirt. That's a one plus one equals two right there. Abraham died. And the well, why didn't they fill him up before he died? I wish they would. I wish you would have tried. Abraham knew that his water was worth fighting for. They had to wait till he died. Had to get him out of the way. You see, during this season of your life, you need to make up in your mind that your water is worth fighting for. And the enemy may have wanted to come in and put some, maybe the enemy has came in because in this scripture, the Philistines waited till Abraham died. And then they came in and the Bible says they put dirt in the well. Has anyone ever had a death in their family that has led to something being dried up? You don't have Christmas no more because Papa died. You don't have family Thanksgiving no more because Grandma died. Uh-oh, I won't stay there too long. The water at one point in your life seemed to flow, but something's died. Last week we were in the desert with everything dead. The marriage ended and now your water stopped flowing. Something happened in your career, so your dreams aren't there no more. 
Your life didn't end up where you thought it should be, and so now you're living in a dried-up well. I need to remind somebody tonight that the enemy is after your well. So it wasn't that Abraham died. It's that the enemy was after the well. The Philistines knew that if they could get dirt into that well, they could stop the next generation. Remember, it's for your children and your children's children. So I'm going to teach you tonight, but this ain't got nothing to do with you. They knew that if they could get dirt into the well, it would dry up the source of life that it was sustaining. All the livestock would be done, dead. The next generation would be done, dead. There'd be no water for harvest. There'd be no way for people to drink. Therefore, they'd eventually die. The cattle wouldn't have anything to drink. The resources would be stopped. And that's the same for you today. The enemy knows that if he can start putting dirt into your well, that eventually it will dry up. And while you may die and move on and do whatever, the, the next generation is the one that's going to suffer with no water. You see, he puts dirt in your well like being busy. He puts dirt in your well like negative people. He puts dirt in your well like negative comments and not having a, a good self-esteem. You look in the mirror and you say you're stupid and you're fat and you're ugly and that's dirt. Keep putting it in your well if you want to. He puts dirt in your well like two-faced people. He puts dirt in your well like false allegations and fake church people. And he puts dirt in your well like family arguing and anxiety and depression and negative news and bills and failure and unexpected expenses that set us back. And unruly children. And he uses all these things. To put, not that they are dirt. But it puts dirt in your well spiritually. And sometimes. There gets enough dirt in there that it dries up. I want to talk to some people who like last week. You have felt in a very dry situation. The Bible says that when Ezekiel looked across the valley. He didn't see just dry bones. It says they were very dry. Feeling like there's not really any life around you. You're just getting <sighs> depressed. But I need to give somebody a notice. I came today to serve somebody with a water bill. I need somebody to check the mail because there's still water flowing. You might not be able to see it, but your dirt devil didn't stop the water. There's still water flowing. I might not be able to get to it right now, but underneath all this trash that you put in my life, underneath all this, this, this rusted and busted and disgusted feeling, there is still water flowing from the throne. You thought your, your well was dried up and it was no longer functioning. But the same well that you've allowed the enemy to come in and fill up with the lies, it may not look like there's any hope, but there's still water there. 
There's still what that's acres of diamonds is understanding that where you are may feel dried up, but there's still water flowing in that spot. The dirt does not determine the flow. It just determines the access. I said the dirt don't diminish the supply. I don't care how much dirt you put in a well, you didn't take away from the water. Though the enemy rise up against me and encamp himself about me, he's still the glory and the lifter up of my head. Your dirt didn't, it didn't take away the supply of water. I don't know if you caught that fact, but the same amount of water has always been on the earth. Rather, it is in precipitation, condensation, frozen, or in the ocean. It's the same amount of water. It's called the water cycle. The access may be prevented, but underneath all that dirt... All that depression and anxiety, all that, that looking in the mirror and not loving yourself. Underneath all that, there's still water that flows. The enemy does not have the ability to stop the water. He just has the ability to prevent you from getting to it. The water still flows. Somebody say the water. So how do we get there? You got to make up in your mind like Isaac did. Isaac said, I'm going to dig again. Your well is the way for the water to come out to the surface and manifest itself in your life. And just because it may seem dried up does not mean that it is. When Abraham died, the enemy thought they could get enough dirt in there. They could drive out the next generation. The enemy's plan was to prevent Isaac, which then would have prevented who? It would have prevented Jacob and Esau. And then it would have prevented the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. If the enemy can come in and stop up your well, he's not worried about just you and your children but your children's children and their children and their children this is a generational thing there's still souls attached to you but Isaac made up in his mind that water's worth fighting for you need to I'm coming to serve notice tonight somebody needs to get in their spirit that your water is worth fighting for We need to stop allowing the enemy to come in you know why they wouldn't come when Abraham was around Abraham would he would box you Mess with my water if you want to. I've been living for so long. God promised me a promise. And, and I done messed up too many times. But he gave me a promise anyhow. And, and I trust him. And I know you touch my water. But please touch it. They had to wait till he died. You see, having access to acres of diamonds and having that mindset says that where I am is worth fighting for. Where you are in your life is worth fighting for. So if you're in a low place, a dry place, a valley of bones, and your marriage is on the rocks, and your children ain't living for God, and there's a strife and contention in your household, and it consumes your atmosphere, and there's an anxiety and a depression, and there's an addiction on every level, there's good news, you're close to water. You see, there's wells in our life that have once flowed. You may not realize it, but... You're sitting right now on prayers that were prayed for you a long time ago. You didn't even know it was prayed. That well's been flowing a long time. I've had great-grandmamas pray for me. I didn't even know their name. 
great, great, great grandmamas. You're living in a flow that's been flowing. This thing ain't brand new. We didn't just get salvation on the cross and all yesterday. This thing's been flowing for a while. This well is not something that just sprung up yesterday. This is a flowing well. So if you're ready to give up and give in and quit and go find another well, I want you to pause just a moment and just think about digging. Someone say dig. Genesis 26, 18 to 19. And Isaac dug again. I mean, this already been done once. All the hard part, the breaking of the ground, the getting down to the water, the building of the well, all that's done been done. Salvation's done been taken care of. There ain't nobody asking you to go to the cross. The well has already been taken care of. You just got to dig a little bit. It said, Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after the death of Abraham. And he gave them names that his father had given them. There ain't no need to change the name. The first name was good enough. If it was good enough for them, it's good enough for us. If the same salvation and the same Holy Ghost was good enough then, it's good enough now. We ain't got to change it up the way it's supposed to go. We can tap into something that's been flowing for quite some time now. So I want to talk to you tonight about four wells in our life we might need to dig in again. The first one is the well of discipline. Oh, yeah, I'm coming there. Y'all know I like to stir it up and then go home. I live in Brunswick. I ain't scared. The first one's the well of discipline. The second's the well of the word. The third is the well of worship. And the fourth is the well of prayer. So here I go. You ready? Number one, the well of discipline. As believers, are we not called to be disciples? Does anybody detest that? Does anybody say, I'm not called to be a disciple? You cannot be a disciple without discipline. It is the root word, in and thereof. A disciple without discipline is like the windshield whoppers on a duck's behind. Useless. Ain't going to do you no good. If you are not a disciplined disciple, not going to be very effective. If you're not careful, the enemy starts to come in and hinder your walk of discipline in your life. He puts dirt in your well of discipline. It takes a mindset to be disciplined. We're called to be disciplined in our walk. We need to make up in our mind that we're not going to give up anymore. Do you realize we live in the most given up generation in the entire history of humanity? We live in the most giving up time. If it gets too hard, we stop. If we start a devotion, we get to day three and we stop. 
We say we're going to go on a diet, and we get to day five, and we stop. And the next Monday, we're at a buffet eating ourselves to death. If the marriage vows get too tough, we get a what? Divorce. Don't tell me I'm not kidding you. The divorce rate is above 50%. That is a quitting rate. That is a 50% I don't have discipline rate in the United States. The job starts requiring more work and didn't give me enough pay and enough days off. We start looking elsewhere. We just don't have discipline. We bow our head to pray and the phone rings and we can't get it out of our mind. That might be somebody that needs me. Our phone will go off and we won't look at it, but we can't get a word out because in our mind the whole time, what if? What if that person needs me? Who is that? That might be my child. That might be. And so we don't have the discipline to stay with it. We just quit praying and go get the phone and then we never go back to prayer. We don't have a behavior problem in the United States. We have a discipline problem. We don't have bad kids. I can say this, I've taught in the school system. We don't have bad kids. We have lack of discipline across the board. Mamas, daddies, and kids, none of them have discipline. If a child gets in trouble, the teacher gets punished. If the team loses, it's the coach's fault. If America goes under, we blame the president. I don't know if you've studied anything about history, but in a democracy, the people run the government. So you can blame the president all day. He got there somehow. I'm not going to preach on politics. I'm just telling you that that's how it works in a democracy. The people run the government, but we like to blame somebody else. Uh, if, we, if we do not revisit the well of discipline, the enemy knows that the next generation is going to be out of control. We got to stop counting and start correcting. I'm not coming to parent at your house. And if you parent this way, that's between you and the Lord and none of my business. But I wished I would walk into my kid's room and say, I'm going to give you to the count of. After I've done asked you to do something. I'm going to give you to the count of three. One. Not at my house. Can you please get up? If I come back in there and you're not up, ask my kid. He will get sheet burned. I will rip him out the bed. I'm not counting. It's a mental, it's, it's a mental thing. You know you got to go to school. Get up and get dressed. If that offends you, it is, it's going to be okay. You just need to dig in your well a little bit. If we don't stop counting and start correcting, we are producing a mindset within our generation that it's okay to let discipline be a thing of the past. And at that point, we have lost discipleship. And the enemy, don't think for one second he is an idiot. The enemy is actually very clever. He knows maybe I can't get you this way, but I can try to get you this way. I'll make you feel bad about sparing the rod, spoiling the child. And I'll make you feel bad about parenting the way that you do. And I'll make you feel, and I'll get you to the place that your child will give up so fast. There's no way they could be a disciple. James 1 and 8 says, he that has a double mind, a double-minded man, that's somebody that doesn't have discipline, is unstable, just rocky as can be. And I'm going to use this one, and then I'm going to talk about it. 
Proverbs 13, 24. Whoever spares the rod spoils the child. But he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. That's what the Bible says. This is not an excuse to beat your children half to death. And I'm coming down that street in just a minute too. Everybody, you they say, spare the rod, spoil the child. I don't have to beat my child. I don't have to. I just walk in the room. I do believe that it's not referring to a belt in Psalms 23. But it says that his rod and his staff comfort me. Spare the rod, spoil the child. His rod and his staff comfort me. We have children today that they just want to be comforted. And it starts with us digging into the well of discipline in our home again. I'm not talking about physically asserting your dominance. I'm talking about spiritually affirming your discipline in your home. You don't have to physically assert your dominance when you spiritually have discipline in your house. Proverbs 12 and 1, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge he who hates reproof is stupid that's the bible not me take it up with the author moving on do you know what keeps me from calling into church not that i feel like church gets you to heaven i don't discipline i don't come every single service as much as i can because of any other reason than I'm disciplined. I like to read. It takes discipline to read. How many of you have ever picked up a book and read it all the way through? And then picked up another one and read it all the way through? It takes discipline. We got to get back to the place where our yes means yes and our no means no. And that takes an effort of digging in our will of discipline. Back to the place where we respect authority. Back to the place that we stop going against what authority says. You're not bad to the moan. You're, you're mean and you need deliverance. There's a difference. We got to get to the place that we respect those in charge and we have a, a reverence for discipline because if we don't, then this mindset becomes produced in our households that, that our kids, we don't have to respect God. We don't have to have reverence for that. So how do you produce discipline? How do you dig in this well of discipline? I don't just want to give you what you need to do. I want to tell you some things that may, may not work for you. I don't know. If you need to talk more about it, we can. But you need to celebrate the small victories. When you start digging and you see a little bit of water, get up and shout and then keep digging. That means that it's not to beat you up and to say, I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do this. This means to celebrate the small victories along the way. Instead of starting a 21-day devotional that you know you're not going to finish, start a three-day and get through with it. 
and then celebrate that you did. That's how you produce discipline. I counsel a lot in pastoral counseling. And the way to produce discipline, the way to do anything is through the mind. You train your mind and you say, good God, I read a three-day dis- I got all the way through three days. And you shout about it. And then you get excited when you get a five and a seven. And then you work your way up to a 10 and a 15. And then all of a sudden you're doing 21-day devotionals back to back to back to back to back because you dug in your well just a little bit, just a little bit, and didn't set yourself up for failure. Get you a small book and read it cover to cover. Quit telling yourself you don't read. Pick one up. You're not going to ever get in the Word of God unless you can read. you got to be able to read. It's written for a reason. Set parameters in your life that define discipline for you. Start scheduling out small moments throughout your day and then celebrate when you reach them. For example, if you know you're not disciplined, when there's junk food in your house, don't buy it. Set your cruise control in your car and go the speed limit. I'll talk to me. And then while you're doing that and you're disciplining yourself, turn on some T.D. Jakes. And then before you know it, you'll be pulled over on the side of the road, running around your car saying, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready. And you won't even know what hit you. You forgot you were supposed to be somewhere at six. Discipline can allow us to make time for things in our life instead of driving 5,800 miles an hour just to get somewhere late anyhow. Turn on a good book and then celebrate when you get there. I drove the speed limit all the way, and that is digging in my well, devil. Watch me. So then we got the well of the word. Well, you can't do this one if you don't have discipline. So let's start digging in one before we try to dig in all four of them at the same time. If you don't have discipline, then the chances are your well of your word is dried up too. And we cannot survive without the word of God. The word is our weapon. You see, the enemy puts dirt in your well and says, well, the Bible's too complicated. You're not smart enough to understand it. You 40, 50, 60 years old and don't know three scriptures. Don't try now. Y'all think I'm crazy, but it happens. And that's exactly what the enemy wants you to believe. You don't know three scriptures and you up there trying to teach somebody, sit down. That's what the devil wants you to think. You you better get a fight back and you would say, I'll take my three scriptures and go to war with you. Because all I need is one. That's what you have to have in your mindset to dig. He wants to make you think that you're tired every time you open up the Bible to read it. I hear that joke all the time. You want to go to bed, open the Bible. That's what they say. You put, you put dirt in your well if you want to. And it's the truth. Every time I open up my Bible, my phone will ring. Every time. At work, ring. Doorbell, ring. Dogs bark, ring. Every time. Takes discipline to say, "Mm -mm, not today. You see, it's the word of God that's your shield. It keeps that enemy out of your well. It's the word of God that's your weapon. Every time you sit down to study and you get distracted and you don't have time or your day's too full or you read a scripture and you're so confused you don't know what to do and you read this scripture and it says this and then you read this one and it says that and so it's too hard and you just quit. 
And if you don't think that's the plan of the enemy, I don't know what is, because that's exactly what he wants you to do is to not even get in it. You see, the, the word of God's been pulled out of the public sector for a while. That means they pulled it out of schools and they pulled it out of the public sector and they took God's name off of this and they removed it from that. And, and, and that's putting dirt in the well. You see, Psalms 119, 105 says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. We got people running all over the place that don't know where they're going because they don't have a lamp and a light. They, they can't see the path. They're running over here and running over there. They're just as confused as can be. We don't have a confusion problem in, the, in, in America and in the world. We have a lack of word problem. You want direction in your life? Open up this book and it will give you some direction. You got to actually make up in your mind that I'm going to guide my life off of this right here. This thing that I can't understand all the time, but I'm going to try my best in it. I'm going to fight for my water. 2 Timothy 3 and 16 says all scripture, 31,102 of them, all scripture is breathed by the breath of God, meaning that it is alive and it's still breathing. It's offensive. It cuts going and coming. It, it, it tears between the flesh and the spirit. That means whenever I deliver a word, it can cut me and you at the same time. It can divide rightly between your flesh and your spirit. Your flesh will be mad about it. Your spirit will shout about it. And you can feel it when you start reading scriptures. Your flesh will say, uh-uh. Your spirit say, oh, yes, God, do it again. You read it one more and your flesh is like, uh-uh. And your spirit will say, oh. Oh, yes God there's water and if you keep doing that long enough that flesh will shut up and your spirit will take over and all of a sudden you've read more than you can handle and you'll take your word and you'll walk through your house and you'll proclaim and the water will flow in your house and demons will move and sickness will be healed and America will be turned back to God and all these things that we talk about happening it happens right here so if you want it to happen, open it up. The word of God cannot fail. Matthew 4 and 4, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. I don't care how many loaves of wonder bread you got at your house. If you ain't got a Bible, you better get one today. And if you ain't got no money to get one, tell me we'll find somewhere. Somebody will get you a word. You can have bread in your cabinets until you are full. But if you don't have the word of God, you can't live. That's what it says. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. In the beginning was the word. The word's been around for longer than you can comprehend. So how do we do that? How do we dig in that well? All kinds of ways. So glad you asked. Stop getting a scripture a day. You say, well, I've been doing that. For I get my phone, sends me a message every day, tells me the daily scripture. Stop. Get you one a week. One a day is too much. You're not even comprehending it. You're just reading it, moving on. Get you one a week and meditate on it day and night. Say it over and over and over and over again. I, you think I'm crazy, but I, I can say this because I've been through this. I used to think if I read more and more and more and more and more of them, then I'm going to know more and more and more. And I read it all the way through and didn't know one. 
but you start meditating on just one, and that, boy, you, tell, I, you use that one all the time. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. It will work every time. Start listening to it out loud. Turn it on in your house. Just let it flow through your house. Get you some YouTube and get you some Spotify and get you, let it just flow. Get your Bible app. It's free. And just click play and let it roll. Turn off your twerking music and turn on the Bible. It works. I promise you it does. Even if you're not listening to it the whole time, just let it flow in your house. Get you a Bible app. Let it play while you're sleeping. Just on low. Just so when you wake up in the middle of the night and you just hear this little tiny voice that says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you'll come up at your sleep. It'll get you. I'm telling you, crawl up your backside. You'll be shouting at 3 o'clock in the morning. Go to a Bible study. When do we have those anymore? Get you a Bible study. Start Bible journaling. My wife's got so many coloring books with the word in it. She'd be sitting over there coloring like she's three years old. Color, it, it, Hey, it worked. She'd be coloring the word and, 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 and the scriptures just right there. She'd just be coloring and outlining and Bible journaling. It works. Get you a physical Bible. I'm glad you got it on your phone. That's cute. It ain't worked yet, so try something different. Get you a physical one. If you have a physical one and you don't open it and it's dusty, then download you a digital one. Try something different. You got to have the word. And then worship and prayer. These two wells kind of go hand in hand because worship is a form of prayer. And you do need both in your life. What's your posture of worship? Not here. I know your posture of worship. Here I get to look at you every Sunday. What's your posture of worship out there? What's your well look like at your house? You can fake it till you make it in here. I've seen it many times. But what about your worship at home? It's easy to worship when the piano's playing and people's falling out on the floor and running all over the church and pastors rolled over on the floor and CC's laying hands on people. It's easy to do that. You can get in the environment of worship. But what can you do at home when you don't have your Bible playing and your air conditioner is just running and there's nothing else happening? Can you worship? If you can't, it's time to dig. What's your worship life look like? Or has the enemy come and dried up your well of worship? Does the opinion of someone else determine your outward expression of worship? Has anyone ever wanted to stand up and raise their hand and move, and then inside they say, you're going to look foolish, sit down? Every time that's dirt, get it out. Worship is what you were created to do. You were created to worship. Stop trying to be dignified in your worship. It's at the well that Jesus has a conversation with the woman. And what does he talk about? Worship. What does she ask about? She is standing in the midst of Jesus. She didn't know it was Jesus at first. She just knew it was a prophet. And so if she's standing in the midst of a prophet, out of all the things that she could have asked him, she could have asked him anything in the world. She asked him about worship. It's at the well that Jesus spoke to her about worship. 
It is our worship that will get us through so many trials, so many tribulations. It's our worship. And if you look at King David, what does he do? He worships all the way through all his mess. I want to challenge your well of worship this week. I want you to do something different. The Bible says, clap your hands, all ye people. If you haven't clapped your hands in 52 years, try it one time. Give God a shout and a triumph of praise. Take off running one good time. Step out from your chair. When, when you get out on Sunday morning, oh God, I feel this. When you get up on Sunday morning and you stand behind that little blue chair that's been holding you back for a year now, I want you to just this Sunday, I want you to say, I'm digging. I'm digging. I'm digging. Ain't nobody going to be, I promise you, we're not going to be mad. You just stand out, you just lift up your hands, and you say, I'm digging. I'm digging. I'm going to hit water. I'm going to hit water. I'm digging. I'm digging. I'm digging. Hell may come against me, but I'm digging. It may be dry in my life, but I'm digging. I promise you, if you'll start digging, the water in your life will flow, and all the dirt will be gone. Just start digging. And then the well of prayer. And I'm going to end on this one. In my opinion, this is the deepest one. Because your worship's cute. Your shout's cute. And you can read the Bible all the way through. But do you pray? The deep water can be reached through prayer. It's the one that will bust all the other wells wide open. So I ended with this one because if you don't want to start digging in those other ones, just get with this one. You won't have to worry about your worship if you pray. You won't have to worry about sitting down and being quiet and, and just being timid. And, and, and You won't have to worry about that. You won't have to worry about the burning desire to open this thing up if you start praying. You won't. It's the one that will give you a refreshing like you've never had before. It's the one that will give you the water and the wind. It's the well that allows the breath of God to sit upon you. It's the prayer well that allows the winds from the east and the west to come into the valley. It's the prayer well that allows the Holy Spirit to set down like fire on you. It's the one that requires discipline and involves worship and honors the word. It is prayer that will get you through anything that comes your way. It is prayer that establishes your relationship with the one who made the water. It is prayer that gets you in tune with the source of the water. Bump the well. If you can get in tune with the source, he will let it overflow. The Bible says it didn't even have to rain for the flood. It came up from the bottom. It was already there. He didn't have to bring it down from the sky. It said it spring up. It came up out the ground, meaning that the water's there if you'll just pray. If you'll talk to the one who made it. If you'll speak to the one who has the authority to get the dirt out of the way. 
you won't have to worry about it. It's this well that financial prosperity happens and families are restored and nations are healed and churches grow and miracles are found. It's through this well, the prayer well. It's prayer that will push you to a posture of worship. So I want to ask you, do you pray? Philippians 4 and 6, don't be anxious about nothing. But in everything by prayer. You tired of being anxious? I deal with anxiety all the time in so many different people. We have such an anxious population of people. They just don't even know why, they're just anxious. Just start praying. You say, well, that's easier said than done. It's really not. If you'll combine your prayer with some thanksgiving, it says pray about everything with supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be known. It is scientifically proven that anxiety and gratitude cannot exist in the brain at the same time. Try me. Start speaking what you're thankful of, and your brain cannot process what you're anxious about at the same time. If you stop with one, the other one can rise. But if you focus on one, the other one's gone. It cannot exist. They function in two areas of the brain that cannot work simultaneously. Second Chronicles 7 and 14, if my people were called by my name, will humble themselves and pray. The enemy knows the power of prayer. That's why he took it out of the schools. Remember, this is for your children's children. children. He knows if he can stop prayer in schools, then he stopped an attitude of prayer in children. Not in my house. Not in my house. We're going to pray. Prayer is powerful. The Bible says in Matthew 26, 41, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. You want to quit being tempted? Start praying. Is anyone among you suffering? Let them pray. I call upon you for you will answer me, O God. Incline your ear to me. Hear my words. Proverbs 15 and 8, the, word, the, the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is acceptable to him. So you see, we got to get to the place where we start praying. Not just here. We expect to pray here. We know we're going to open up with prayer, and then we're going to have prayer at the end, and then prayer in the middle. But pray at home. Get prayer a part of your life. Start digging in your prayer life. Don't let this message set you up for failure, and you feel like you got to go home and dig into 42 different holes in your yard. Just focus on prayer. Let's get that one. I ended with it on purpose. Just focus on that one. Get you a prayer room. You say, well, that might be religious. Well, you got four rooms in your house and you don't pray in none of them. So finally, get you a prayer room and you might pray. I'm all about trying something different. 
I, I, I am. I'm not trying to beat you up. I'm just saying if you got four rooms in your house and you don't pray in none of them, get you a prayer room and you might pray. Get a place to pray. It can be outside. Get you a tree. I know y'all like to hunt. Get you a tree. Get you a spot where you fish and let it be your prayer spot. And, and go there to pray. Don't go there to fish. Go there to pray. Pray with others. Pray here at church out loud. I need you to dig into prayer as your well. Matthew 21 and 13. It is written. That means it's done. It's written. It's finished. It's already said you can't erase it. My house shall be called a house of prayer. That applies to this house and this one. This is where the Holy Spirit resides. Right here in this house. Is your house a house of prayer? Setting aside time every day to speak and, and talk with him. We were talking about it before, we, before service started. How do you dig in your well of prayer? Get a prayer journal. Do something different. That's what I'm trying to challenge you to do. Do something different. You say, I don't journal. You don't pray either, so get a journal. Just try it. You will text until your fingers fall off. So try it. Get you a prayer text. I don't care. That's fine. Get you one. And text it out. You say, that sounds crazy. It's really not because it, that's how God wants you to talk to him anyways. Quit trying to talk to him like, in some way, form, or fashion that's not even real. Talk to him in honesty and openness. When I got a prayer journal, I used to be that type of person that... It, I say, oh, I pray. I pray the walls down. And you ask me to pray over the food, and I'll be like, mm. Pastor, you don't, you don't pray over the food? You the pastor, you pray over the food. Am I lying? It, it, some people will melt in the floor if you ask them to pray out loud. They'll say, oh, no, can't do that. Well, you talk on the phone all the way through Walmart. That's what I'm talking about. We got to get to that place where our water is flowing so much out of that well of prayer. We just step right into it. We just say, God, I thank you for today. And if you'll dig in this well, you'll tap into a source like never before. Stand with me, if you will. It's time we take authority over our life and make up in our mind that our water is worth fighting for. I want Covenant Church to be a wet church. I don't want to be no dry church. I want the water to flow in this house. I want the source of life to flow in this house. And whatever area of your life that you need water in, dig. It is worth the dig. Because when you tap into a little bit of water, if you just keep going, all of a sudden, Pastor, I don't want to sprinkle. I want a gully washer. I don't even know what a gully washer is, but I heard somebody say it one time, and I like it. I want one of those. I want, a, I want it to flood cats and dogs. Y'all know how it rains cats? I want it to flood that. I want it to be so much water that the dirt has no choice but to get out. That's what you should want for your life. Whatever your well is tonight, tell yourself it's worth digging. My water is worth it. I'm not going somewhere else. My daddy dug this land. This well belongs to me. I'm going to dig it again. You make up in your mind, this is my marriage. This is my house. This is my property. And this is my water. And I'm not going nowhere, devil. You can take your dirt and you and get out. Because I 
am staying right here and digging. Father, I love you and I thank you for the opportunity to be able to come into your house tonight and receive your word and to deliver.